Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Thank you guys for being here. Um, let, me, let me pray for us as we uh, get rolling. God, we, we thank you so much for uh, this community. We thank you for what you're doing in uh, this series as we're learning about relationships. Um, God, we pray that you would uh, bless this time, uh, speak through Ashley and I. Uh, God, would you uh, open our hearts to your love uh, through this uh, talk on, on marriage today. Uh, God, we pray that you would uh, equip us, uh, but more than equip us, God, you would meet us. Uh, show us how much you've moved towards us, how much you've made room for us, God, in your love uh, for each and every one of us, no matter our status, no matter our, uh, whether we're single or married or divorced or, or wherever we, come, we are in this room. God, you, we all come in this room with many aches, many, many wounds, many, many blessings. Uh, so God, I pray that you meet us in this uh, and that you teach us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Do you want to... So this is, like, new for us. Um, I feel like we're, like, on some really bad SNL skit with this big table here. Like, weekend update from Pastor Brian and Ashley. No, okay. so. oh, good morning, guys. It's good to be before you this morning. Uh, Brian's my husband. Hi, Ms. Eli. Yes. Yes, we're here. Um, for the past five weeks, we've been... I don't want to close my eyes. Can you hear me? <laughs> Failure number one in marriage. Don't over-accommodate. <laughs> <laughs> for the past five weeks we've been going through this side-by-side series I don't know who all's been here who hasn't um, but we've been going through this series just to cultivate within our body a culture of commitment honesty love mutuality in our relationships um, and we've had a focus on knowing understanding and loving one another well through the various life stages um, so this week Brian and I are going to end this series with a talk on marriage. Um, So let me begin with a little intro to how the Fultons came to be. Um, Brian and I met back in January of 2004, so we've known each other slash been together for 16 years, which is a really long time. It's crazy. (laughs) But uh, we were both in college, and um, I had just transferred uh, to UAB, which is where I went. Brian was already there. We did not know each other. And he was the president of the campus ministries there at the university. And um, I didn't know anyone. And again, transferring in January, like the middle of the semester, they don't have a lot of like meet and greets, I guess, for students. And so I saw that they were having a worship service at the campus ministry house. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to go. I was super shy and quiet. And it was like a big deal for me to go there alone. Um, And this guy was like the first person I met, so he opened the door and welcomed me in, and he was very friendly and um, gave me this like private tour of the (laughs) campus ministry house. And I lived there as well, so I was like, this is my room. Yeah. It was just kind of weird. It was like. This is where I eat. This is where, yeah, it was, I don't know why you did that, but you did. It was weird. Um, It was weird. Anyway. So we were um, friends for a few months. Um, Brian had a lot of friends in college. He's very social. I was not. Um, he had a lot of friends who were girls, so I didn't always know my status um, <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> 
So finally, March rolled around. We had been, you know, friends slash hanging out for a few months. And then finally, you know, we kind of DTR'd the relationship to find the relationship. So we started dating. Uh, we had like a little rough breakup in the middle. Um, but then got back together, got engaged, and we're married in March of 2006. So we are coming up on 14 years of marriage. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was sweet. We're going to the golden nugget after this. This was, that was amazing. Um, oh, I'm not done. Oh, you're not done. No. Keep going. Um, so <laughs> so um, in those 14 years, we've had a lot of different seasons. We've had like seasons of fasting, or I mean, sorry, feasting, but then we've also had like seasons of famine, so to speak. Um, and we haven't arrived in marriage, but we do feel like over the past 14 years, we've learned a lot. And we just wanted to pass on some of those things this morning. And we're both here talking about it because if Brian were just here, he only represents like half of the relationship. And so we felt like it was important to have both of our perspectives for this um, chat. And so we'll be moving through like three themes this morning. We're gonna be um, talking about like the spark to intimacy, like leaving and what that looks like, leaving your family of origin and then joining and becoming one. Cool, all right. Um, so yeah, we, we wanted to address marriage from this idea of like commitment first and foremost, um, because no matter where you are, this, this, the, you gotta think about the way commitment works. And then if you're new to this talk, uh, we did a whole talk on commitment. Uh, we did a whole talk on singleness. We did a talk on friendship. So um, we hope that today, we know that this is a mixed crowd of married and singles, but we think that uh, this is going to help all of us uh, along the way in our life. Um, but you think about how commitment works, right? Like you commit to what you fall in love with, right? Like I, I'm in ministry and I committed to ministry because I was falling in love with doing ministry. And I said, I want to like make this my vocation, right? You commit to a church, you serve in the MD kids children's ministry because you fell in love with this church. And you're like, I want to commit to these people, right? And so the way uh, commitments work is you fall in love with something. And then once your heart falls in love with something, the soul wants to make a promise to it. Um, that's the, that's what, what love does. It, it wants to promise fidelity because they knows that one day I'm not going to always feel in love. Um, and so this is kind of the, the spark of marriage, if you will. Um, and so often we, we, we have this spark and these things that we just talked about where we got engaged and it's just, you know, we're, I'm like blindfolded you and took you up on this mountain in Birmingham and found some guy's massive private property and said, can I use your property to ask my fiance to marry me? And he's like, sure. And, you know, and did all these things that were amazing. Uh, but we, we, you commit to something you love. And so falling in love is going to promise fidelity. Um, if, so I, th I think that's important to say because like right now divorce rates are, you know, in anywhere from 50 to 40%. Actually, divorce rates are falling because marriage among millennials is falling. So there's more, less and less uh, people getting married, um, which has something to say with this view of like the when you fall in love with something, you want to put boundaries and commitment around it um, to keep what you love. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this. Um, I love this quote. Uh, it says, it, I think it's up there. Yeah, there we go. Listen to this. This is so good. And this is from Mere Christianity, a philosophy book. All right. Uh, he says, being in love is a good thing, but it is not the best thing. 
There are many things below it, but there are also things above it. You cannot make it the basis of a whole life. It is a noble feeling, but it's still a feeling. Now, no feeling can be relied on to last in its full intensity or even to last at all. Of course, ceasing to be in love need not mean ceasing to love. So you can still love, right? But fall out of love. Love in the second sense, so he talks about the first love and now the second sense of love. Love as distinct from being in love is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at the moments when they do not like each other. Someone please say amen. (laughs) Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. This quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. So this first love, C.S. Lewis says, is the spark of marriage that we want to talk about first. Is, uh, it's intense, it's powerful, it's mysterious, it's passionate, uh, it's, and it's important. It's, it's very important to have that. Um, but he says there's this second quieter love. The first one, it's only a phase. It doesn't last forever. Uh, its intensity cannot be sustained. I mean, can you imagine just being like, oh my gosh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, that would just be annoying as all get out. Um, that, that kind of passion can't be sustained. Nor, C.S. Lewis says, nor should it be. Nor should it be sustained. Um, now, some of us, some of you are like, you know what, we're, the most, we're just more passionate in our marriage than ever before, and we, we do that. That's us. I'm like, good for you. Keep that to your, you. Don't come up to me after the sermon and tell us, we don't need to hear about it. No one wants to hear about that. Um, <laughs> C.S. Lewis actually says you're wrong, though. He says, like, you can't, you can't sustain. It may, you may be in, have those moments of love, but it's a different kind of love. There's a different kind of love where you commit to one another. You do things out of, like, commitment. And so here's the challenge, I think, with marriage is um, marriage is, uh, starts off with this intimate face-to-face right? Like we just talked about them. The spark of marriage is face-to-face. And then all of a sudden, life begins to turn us all side-by-side. Side. Uh, there's the chores. There's like the, the, the changing of the diapers, jobs. There's, you know, I have to work late. I have to like pick up macaroni off the floor. I need to mow the grass. Like we just keep on going. Ashley could add any of yours as well. I don't need, You're good. Um, so there's a sense where what happens is like the spark leaves you know, and now sometimes that commitment, you feel loved. You're like, oh, you match the socks. That's really amazing. Um, but the challenge of marriage is how do you actually create this face-to-face again? Like, how do you, uh, I'll get into that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah. So that first love, it's a great thing because it ca- causes us to want to promise fidelity. Um, and that first love is a spark. But what does it spark? It sparks commitment. So I just want to get that out from the gate. Uh, Matthew 19 is Jesus' teaching on marriage. This is the most, like, comprehensive teaching on marriage from the mouth of Jesus, and it's only, like, a few verses. And it's in the context of Pharisees trying to test Jesus on divorce. Uh, he says to the Pharisees, the Pharisees come to him and say, hey, can a person uh, the, some Pharisees came to him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, right? Like, that's obviously like he's trying to test, they're trying to test Jesus to get Jesus to say, no, of course not. You can't divorce someone for any and every reason. That's not 
lawful. Like, so they're trying to get Jesus to say that because then they want to come back, and Jesus knows what they're going to say. They're going to come back with Deuteronomy 24, in which they said, well, Moses says so, so are you greater than Moses? So they're trying to test Jesus, and Jesus actually goes, leaps frog Moses and says, actually, let me take you back to Genesis 1, page 1 of the Bible, which four Pharisees who were memorized the entire scriptures would have been very offensive, right? Like, actually, let me take you back to page 1, that page that you memorized, and let's go there. Let's go to the very beginning. And when he goes there, he says, what does page 1 say? In the beginning, God made us male and female. So what we want you to see here is Jesus is, is being questioned in divorce, and he goes, let's see how the Creator created it. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. So there is a reason that one would leave their family of origin and join up with this other person. It's that spark that we talked about. It's the spark of, like, Jesus says, one flesh. So this spark is very important. It's, there's things below it and there's things above it, but it is still very essential for marriage to like understanding this spark. And so when Jesus says this for a reason, he's looking back to Genesis 1 and 2, and that's where Ashley's going to Yeah, I know us. we're all familiar with this story, but let's just go back for a moment. Do we have it on here? Yeah, okay. it's on there. Um, in Genesis 2, uh, we see God put Adam to sleep, and when Adam wakes up, he sees Eve and says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. Finally, someone who is like me. And, you know, Adam's thinking this. Um, someone who is so much like me that I'm naming her me, but with a feminine ending. In Hebrew, it's as if Adam is saying, I'm Ish, you should be Isha. For me, it would be like, I'm Ashley, you're Asher. As I'm Brian, you're Brianna. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's important to remember the sequence of the story. In Genesis 1, God creates, and it is good, and then God sees something that is not good. Um, and he sees um, that Adam needs a suitable helper. And so then God goes on to create the beast of the field, the animals, the birds. He creates all these things. Adam names all of them. Um, and at the end of that, none of them are like Adam. Um, he can't have companionship, relationship with um, any of those in the sense of how God created us to have, like, companionship with one another. Um, and so God causes the deep sleep to come over Adam, and he takes, a, you know, his rib, one of his ribs from his side, and he fashions woman. Um, and then no longer is Adam alone. Um, he has Eve now, the two of them. And a lot of marriage books teach us just how different we are um, as husband and wife or male and female. And um, we do have a lot of differences for sure, but I think there's a, a lot of um, similarness too and sameness there. And I think we see that in the very beginning when Adam and Eve were created, that they were created um, with equality. And that's something that's kind of been lost um, over generations and generations. Yeah, and, and this is, we want you to see this, this passage, because yeah, this passage. next part, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called, whoa, man, <laughs> right? Because she was taken out of man. It's like, you are same of my same. She shall be called like me, because she was taken like me. You know, like, he's, he's saying, finally, there was this naming of the animals, and 
he was like, God was like, hey, name the animals. What do you want to name them? He's like, aardvark. He's like, does it talk? He's like, no, no, it doesn't talk. He's like, God wanted Adam to experience you're lonely. You don't have a suitable helper. So that he could realize I need someone to uh, completely feel strong. But yeah, it sounds cheesy. Um, but to like compliment me, to, to, to help me, to make me, support me and fulfill this, this, this life that I'm living. And not that you can't be fulfilled in singleness, but there is a sense of like um, coming together, being made for each other, for Adam and Eve, this companionship for life. And so I, I, we, we share that because the spark often feels like that, not to be cliche or cheesy, but it feels like this poetic kind of love. Now, I want to say something to singles um, briefly. Uh, I wish we had like three more I wish there was like 10 more talks on all of these. It's just so much to cram in. We're not going to hit everything in marriage. Um, but I think this part here where it says the spark to make this mutual promise, it's the hardest part for many of us. And for many of you room, the, finding this spark is really, really hard. And for all of us, it's really hard to find the spark. Um, but the bottom line is, is like, this can be really painful. This may have been really painful for a lot of you in your relationships. I just want to say this to those who are single. Don't give up. If this is what you desire, if this is where, if your heart is leaning towards, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Here's why. The stages you go through to get to the spark are very long. Like, first you have to notice someone. Then you have to, like, there's the stage of noticing, right? And then there's the stage of curiosity, and then there's a stage of, like, opening your whole, like, center of yourself to this other person vulnerably. Um, to get to this risk, that's just the beginning. To get to this risky stage of, of love is, is, like, takes a lot of, lot of time. So you may get to stage three several times, and it's just like it's not working. I just want to encourage you, please don't give up. Like, keep hope alive. Um, <laughs> um, and to the married couples, uh, what's very important for us as married couples is, like, this spark is so important. Like what researchers show is that successful marriages know how to go back to this spark. They know how to think back to their, the idealized versions of each other, right? Because you change in life and you realize you're not who I thought you were and you're, I'm not who you thought you, uh, who, yeah, you, I'm not who you thought I was. And we begin to really like see all the nitty gritty. But what keeps marriages is the sense of learning to continually um, remember the idolized images of each other, that positivity, and to say it out loud and to talk about it. So, like, when I first met Ashley, she was gentle. She was quiet-spirited and still is. She's sweet, compassionate to others, heart for God's mission, like, lived in Philippines for right after high school. It was just amazing, like, seeing her um, love for other friendships, like her loyal love to other, like, sisters in Christ. All these things, like, drew me to her. And it's very important in marriage to, to turn towards each other and to, like, see that about each other again. Does that make sense? Um, and so what happens is in marriage, we just stop practicing that. So I wanted to give you an example from Scripture. It's Proverbs 31. How many of you guys have went to a women's, women, ladies? You've been to some retreat and were told, be a Proverbs 31 woman. Um, nothing wrong with that, but I do want to say that this was written by King Lemuel about his wife. That's what I hate about marriage books. It's always like some guy writing about how he loved his wife, and I'm like, I'm not married to your wife. You're like, that's not, I'm not like that, uh, or vice versa. And so what I think is the value of Proverbs 31 is this is a man learning to praise his wife, fondness about his wife, admiration. So listen, he says, an excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. 
The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with her hands willingly. She has, an, has her own Etsy store on the side, right? She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She's got a farmer market stand. She rises while it is not night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She's in leadership. She has people serving under her. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She's in real estate, dabbles in wine. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong, CrossFit. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's a financial investor. She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. She's a woman of justice. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She lives in Chicago. She makes bed coverings for herself, her clothing in fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates, and when he sits among the elders in the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I could go on. Her children raise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So I could keep going, but the point of this is, is like the challenge of marriage is learning to turn face-to-face again. It's learning to, to rediscover the spark and remember the spark. Um, so, yeah, so just wanted to, to share that. I'm done. Okay. Um, so that's the spark. So we're going to move on to the leaving. Um, so Brian was talking a little bit earlier about how you put boundaries around love. Um, so when you experience love in the spark stage, you want it to last forever. And so that's why we commit to protect what we have. Um, and Jesus says commitment looks like leaving. And so back to Matthew 19.5, when Jesus says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Most people think of leaving as geographic. So if you leave the property of your parents, then you have left. And that's part of it, but not entirely. Um, Before you're married, um, and just anyone in life, like you have the influence from your family that is very largely unconscious. Um, The way that you ebb and flow throughout life, the way you interact with others is largely influenced by your family of origin. And you may not even realize it, but once you're married, the way that you ebb and flow through life, the way you interact with others, and the way your partner ebbs and flows through life and interacts with others isn't going to be the same. And they're um, going to come into contact and things are going to collide and, you know, things might blow up sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think it's really important to, to pause in marriage and to think about that. Um, there's a quote by George Santana. He says, those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. And so there is wisdom and value in pausing and thinking through your past and what you're bringing Um, into your marriage, and it's easy for us to mirror and mimic those patterns of our family of origin for better or for worse. Um, Brian and I didn't really have the best premarital counseling like 14 years ago. Um, We basically had one session, and it was, you know, we went through like the major three things that they say married couples argue about, which is like sex, uh, finances, and kids. And we kind of touched on those. And then we talked about the wedding, and that was it. 
So we, like, there's a lot that we had to learn the hard way, um, and we found very quickly in the first few years of marriage that a lot of things were colliding, um, and we didn't know what to do. We didn't have the tools on how to handle them and to move past them, and our arguments were ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous and explosive. I remember one night I like slept in the bathroom floor, don't know why, don't even remember what we were arguing about, but we like couldn't even be in the same house. Like you slept in the car, I think. I was in the bathroom. Why I didn't go to bed, I don't know. But I was just thinking about that on the way over here. I was like, why did I, there was a couch. But I was like so mad. Like I just like wouldn't even come out of the bathroom. Like I just like protected myself in there with my boundaries and I was hiding, you know. Um, And so around year seven, uh, we were like, okay, we need some tools. Like we need some communication tools because we we need help. and we, were, we just kept noticing, like the counseling was helpful, but I think we still kept noticing the same themes in our arguments, just kept coming up. And it really hasn't been until the past like three to five years that we've really been pressing into the things that we bring into our marriage from our family of origin. And this has been really transformative to be able to reflect on the unhealthy patterns we're bringing in. Um, And even generational sin that we're able to identify, too, is really important. And so we didn't have that awareness in those first several, several years of marriage um, to to look at things of our marriage through those lenses. Um, There was a lot of, I need to change Brian. Like, he's going to change. This will make things better if I can just change him. And same for Brian, like, in changing me. Um, But that doesn't work. Like, you can't change someone. Like, you can change yourself, and you can focus on yourself, but you can't change someone else. It doesn't work, and it doesn't put you face-to-face. It just pushes you in the opposite direction, um, which doesn't help your marriage at all. And so I want to pause for a second and talk about generational sin. Um, And I know it can sound like this big, horrific thing, um, but I'm talking about the weaknesses and the tendencies handed down to us through generations, the behavioral patterns and the ways of thinking that have been handed down to us that we're bringing into our marriage. Um, And it can change the way that it looks throughout the generation. So you may think, oh, well, so-and-so in my family, like, maybe struggled with this, and that's not how it looks for me. But it can, like, change its face throughout the generations and can look a little bit differently, but if you're able to have the awareness and identify it, you can trace it back. Um, and it's, it's really crazy. Um, just to give you some examples, like from my own family of origin, the things that I can identify would be divorce, um, infidelity, anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, abuse. I could keep going and going, and that's just my family. That's not Brian's family. So that's just what I'm bringing in. Um, But Brian also has infidelity on his side of the family. So that's something for both of us where it runs in both of our families, and we're very aware of that. And so our conversations around sex have to be very open. Um, That's just like a priority that we have to just have no secrets and just have like a very open marriage and talking about those things because we don't want to give a foothold for that generational sin to like take root in our marriage. Um, Okay, let me slow down. You're doing great. Thanks, honey. Um, (laughs) um, So 
Anyway, in that, identifying those patterns and tendencies takes some time to really sit down and process that. Um, but it's really insightful because when we have that awareness, in the awareness is where we can change. And if you don't have that awareness, you really can't change. And so it's super important to kind of sit in that uncomfortable place. Um, and when we're able to change, we can create a new family language for our family. And we can seek to have a marriage built on God's kingdom. And we can break free from our past. We can break free from the generational sin that we see in our marriage. Um, that's super important. And we're going to have time later today to like press in and pray through some of those things. Um, but it's super important. Um, and we can have freedom from those. Um, and I think when you're able to see your partner's like tendencies and habits that are coming from generations before, it, you're really able to foster compassion and empathy for one another. And it can really bring your partner in as a participant in God's healing and renewal. And you can, it's just really beautiful to be able to do that together. Um, so Brian and I totally obviously believe in getting counseling too. That can be really, really helpful. Um, but also trying to do marriage alone is very isolating. Um, and so it's important to have a community that you can share your marriage with. I think sometimes in our culture, we like keep everything so quiet. Like we don't really talk about the struggles that we have in marriage. But if you can find that trusted group of people that you can be real and vulnerable with, um, it's super important, and they can speak into your marriage, and they can pray for you. They can speak wisdom over you, um, and some of this gets flushed out in gospel communities, which is really great, um, but don't try to be on an island like in your marriage. Just don't try to be on an island. Like we need, we need community. Um, it's, it's important. We need support. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, say, I would say for my family of origin, one thing that stands up, uh, out of my mind was my dad, granddad, there was a lot of like, I would say control, um, whatever you want to call it, just very um, controlling in a lot of ways. So I think one of the ways for us early on, you know, I'm going into ministry, you don't, you don't go into ministry for the money, guys, just to let you know. Um, so stressing about finances was always something that was heavy for me. Uh, so I would remember year one, year two, even the first three years, you know, Ash would come home from the grocery store and I'd be like, why did you buy that? And I say that out loud and I'm like, you're like, Brian, you are horrible. Um, but in the moment, I was like thinking, I'm being a good steward. Like I'm protecting our finances. Like I'm making sure like we stay on track here. Like, and I'm the right one who's good about money. And, you know, and, and there was a sense of, uh, but it, there was like a, a slow, subtle, um, I remember, I won't forget, uh, one of my counselors uh, who was a professor said the most dangerous thing in a marriage is not an affair. It's a slow leaky marriage. And, it, and it's these slow leaky things that go unaddressed that create a gridlock in a marriage that you can no longer talk about. I mean, it got to the point where I couldn't even say, Hey, Ashley, let's do the budget because even saying doing the budget was a trigger to those early conversations um, where I had been like, let me see that receipt. Um, so that's something that I've had to like uh, learn from grow in and even share my past of how money was confusing in my life um, and my, the way my dad handled money was confusing and my pain from that. And then so Ashley can be a part of helping me get healing in that. So we're going to get into that a little bit more. But lastly, I just want to close with um, one last part and then two practical things. If you guys are, you guys okay? 
We're hanging in there? All right. Um, the lastly is the joining. Now, Jesus is brilliant, the fact that he can say so much about marriage in like so few words. Um, and so when you are married, he says that the two, I love this because when he's talking about divorce, they're trying to catch him, remember, in this thing. And he says, well, God's logic's math is one plus one life equals one. So they're trying to ask him about divorce, and he's like, they're actually one flesh, so how do you divide one? And so Jesus kind of catches them with this cleverness of, like, you can't divide one without making a fraction. Uh, you can't be divide one without being torn apart. And so Jesus teaches us that somehow when you're married, you're a new entity. You are a mysterious third person <laughs> somehow. Like, that's how you are one flesh, one union. Two whole individual lives are now one whole interdependent community. And so interwoven, they're much more, much part of one another as, like, as our organs are a part of each other. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, marriage is that unifying. It's that um, so much you're still an individual, but you're so interdependent. You're like one community. You're this mysterious third other. And so... How does this oneness, though, happen? Like, it happens, right, when you commit, but how do you functionally feel this oneness and, and can do this? What's our part, right? Well, first of all, what's God's part is he says, and back in that passage, God joined them together. So I know a lot of times we talk about marriage with love and all those things, love is important, but it is God who joins people together. He is the one who joins them. So what's our part? If God's part is, it's us to figure out how do we stay joined? And the way he, word he uses for join is the word yoke. Um, so yoke has to do with labor and toil, and it has to do with, with tilling the ground. So there, here's a picture of two oxen. Or, there we go. That's marriage. Some of you are like, I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> for those who are married, you're like, yep, that's how my marriage feels right now. Um, and so there is like this yoke. I love this word that Jesus talks about joining because I want to say this, like, we're bound together for a common task, learning to figure out what's our common purpose, but yet be individuals. But marriage is work. So I, I just want to say, if your marriage feels like work right now, it's okay. Like, it's supposed to be work. It's meant to be work. Marriage is work. Um, the, the way to have a great marriage is not to pick, like, the right partner, Right? We are all choosing the wrong partner, okay? I just want to, like, throw that out there. If, sorry to blow your, like, bubble, but, like, if, if Ashley was, if it was an accident and she was number two, then her number one's out there. He's messed up. I don't know where he is, but now he's got to pick number three, and it just goes on and on. What I mean by that is have a great marriage is focusing on becoming the right kind of person to take responsibility for yourself. And marriage requires this commitment and discipline and courage. Um, and so if your marriage feels like work, it's okay, um, so how do you feed your marriage? How do you care for your marriage? Uh, there's a whole other talk we could do on conflict. We're not going to do that because we did conflict. Um, but we want to leave you with like two things that Ashley and I have learned in our marriage, that when we are doing these two things, our marriage feels amazing. And we are, when we are not doing these two things, like our marriage feels bleak. Uh, it feels like, like, like pulling teeth. It feels like we're roommates. Like it, it, but when we are doing these things, it feels like, man, like we are a force to be reckoned with. Like we are unstoppable and we are in love and we, we are like thriving. Um, so uh, I want to share the first one. Um, the first practical one, and, and some of these come from a guy named John Gottman. Um, it was a great book. He's one of the leading researchers on marriage. Um, and, he, and I would say this is the first one is making room for each other's voice. All right, making room for, in other words, 
is let your partner influence you. Now, I would say early on in my marriage, I thought I was making room for Ashley's voice. Because what I was doing is I was giving plenty of room for her voice. I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 great. Now I know, like, I'm giving room for so you can be heard, but so that I can then show you why my way's right. Right? It's like, I, I, and so, like, I heard your voice. I made room for your voice. I heard it, but my way's right. And so there was this sense of, like, always believing deep down that, like, my way of doing things was better. Um, but it, there was, like, it has to be this conversion where you're like, actually, the God is trying to teach me something about him through my spouse. And I cannot learn about his character unless I learn, let my partner influence me. And so, you know, you can take the issue of money, for example. Um, you know, that, that over time, being like, okay, Ashley's way of doing things could be better sometimes. And, and my way is not always right. So, for example, you know, um, Halloween came around. You know, and Ashley loves Halloween decorations. Totally. And, um, so much. We're going to get into this in a minute, but here's a, go to the, the, the witch here. So, oh, yeah, there, I don't know if you can see that, but that's a witch hugging a tree. Normal marriage, but like, why did you buy this? Why did you spend your money? You wasted $20, <laughs> right? Um, but instead, I was like, hey, I bet you got a good deal on that witch. And for, you know, normally in marriage, I'd be like, that's no big deal. But for our marriage, that meant a lot to be like, you got a good deal on that. So, um, so the point is, is like, we need to let our, that, that's a silly example. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, when we planted a church, we were so stressed, so much pressure on starting this church. Uh, the church just consumed us. I mean, conversations about it, meaning like, so I was, you know, there was no room for Ashley's dreams in that season. There was no room for her fears. There was no room for, for her anxieties, uh, her wants, because it was like such a season where my needs dominated uh, the, the marriage. Um, and so that was like a huge learning point, a breaking point where like, that's why I'm so passionate about Sabbath. That's why um, there's points where like realizing that like I did not, my theology shifted where I was like, I was kind of building the church over here and then compartmentalized was like, now this is marriage time. But learning that like I I can only lead out of my marriage, not like out of a single uh, pseudo singleness, right? And then in another stage, um, I would say before sabbatical, um, there was a point in time where we really were pressing into. I was beginning to press into like theology of like women in ministry and those things, and like I'm feeling like, man, I'm I'm above the curve a little bit as a guy. I'm learning a lot of things here about about you know the way that we I've received a faulty foundation but there was still these patterns ingrained in me from what we talked about where I was still dominating still not letting Ashley's voice have a place still letting her say things but still it wasn't like on an equal footing even though I thought it was on an equal footing so that was a really hard conversation so I, I would say this is I would just say men especially like make room for your spouse's voice like she is equal if you do not do this um I would just say that I don't know if marriage will last for the, the long haul. I would say that, like, at some point you are going to hit a crisis. Um, and so it, uh, it may be 20 years from now, 10 years from now, but we have to, like, let our partner influence us for the best in decision-making and, and all those things. So, um, yeah, that's making room for each other. All right. The next is moving towards each other. Um, so we can't move towards each other if we don't make time for each other. I know Brian mentioned John Gottman a minute ago, um, and he's been researching marriage for decades, and his practical steps of turning towards one another has been really helpful for Brian and I. 
And he refers to this turning towards one another as bids, B-I-D-S, bids for connection. Um, And so a bid is any attempt from one partner to another for attention, affirmation, affection, or any other positive connection. And so bids can show up in simple ways, like a smile or a wink, or they can show up in more complex ways, like a request for advice or help. And so as we go about our rhythms of the day, it's really easy to miss those positive bids, or you might even be at a point in your marriage where there's a lot of negative bids, and they just overtake the positive bids. Um, I have that you were going to give an example. Oh, yeah. So I would say an example um, where I used to think that I was doing the right, right thing. Um, I'll, I'll say like a, a positive bid maybe where Ashley may say, hey, the weather's nice outside. And if I'm, I'm reading something, um, I would oft, I, a phrase that I'll often get caught saying in my house is one second. All right. I don't know if I'm alone. Just like one second. One second. So I'll be reading something like I'm reading something. Don't you see that I'm reading? You're interrupting me. I'm reading now, again, I sound like a horrible person to you right now, but in the moment, I feel justified. I'm like, I'm reading something very important right now, and you interrupted me, but what Godman says is, like, I used to see that as, like, I'm, you know, trying to have boundaries here, Ashley, like, whatever, but Godman will say, no, I'm actually, she's making a positive bid of engagement, of, like, the weather's nice, and I'm making a turning away bid. Like, I'm, I'm, instead of engaging in a, in, a, in a loving relationship, a spouse should have the freedom to interrupt each other anytime they want. And, and, and so it's like, it, I'm, not, I'm turning away from her by doing that. Or I could just be turning, I'm turning against her by saying one second. Or I could be, um, turning against would be saying a little bit, something a little bit harsher, right? So we're either turning away in passivity or we're turning against. Um, and what Godman says is for a g- good marriage, there's five positive bids towards each other for every one negative. And if you want to have a great marriage, it's 20 positives tor- turning towards each other for every one. I would say, um, you know, sometimes this may be a discipline for some of you where if, like, there is gridlock in your marriage, there is, like, just things are waning, like, you must discipline yourself for this, for a season, for it to reconnect. I mean, there was a time where I was just, like, writing down every little positive thing f- for days to, like, say them out loud so I could, like, repractice this. And it was, it was life-changing for me to, to practice that discipline. Um, but what, what I love about this is, like, what he says is Gottman would research all these married couples for, like, over a year. He would put them in an apartment for two days, hook up wires to them to hear their heart rate, feel their heart rate, measure it. Uh, cameras, he's like, act as normal as possible. I don't know how you do that, but act as normal as possible. And what he did is he found out, he's like, this was the thing right here. He said, making positive, the thing that last made marriages last um, was the fact that these couples like would just move towards each other, and they wouldn't move away from each other when one was trying to move towards. And he said it wasn't the romance, it wasn't all those things. It was this, this moving towards each other, um, is is so powerful. And so I just want to encourage you to to move towards each other in marriage. And and I want to close with this: is that this is the gospel, right? For all of us in this room, God moved towards us. Right? Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he moved in towards us, like that this is the good news of Jesus, that for all of us in this room, he's moving towards us. He's moving toward, and that's what's, the, the marriage is a reenactment of God's love and his grace, because in marriage, Ashley sees the worst of me, and I see the worst of her. Um, Ashley has loved me more than anybody else, but there's been a history of hurts there that probably is unique to anyone else. 
And God's love is the same. He's seen the worst of me, and yet he still says, you are my beloved son, and I'm well pleased with you. And that's, this, that's what God has done for us in his marriage to us, his union with us. So I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are, like this is a time to, to know that God is, is moving towards us. Um, that's, that's the gospel. So do you want to share anything else before we close and pray? You good? Sure. Um, let's, let's, would you guys stand as we pray? And the band can come on up as we worship. God, we thank you for your love that you move towards us and you make room for us, that you want to partner with us. Um, we pray for everyone here that they would see how much God's loved them and move towards them. God, we pray that you would, um, right now as we've talked, we've, we've shared a lot um, a lot of things practical, but also just some hit on some deep things. God, we pray for those who um, are seeing just kind of some of those patterns in their life that have been passed down from generation, and we want to ask for you to do deliverance today. Um, God, you can't deliver what we don't name out loud that's holding us captive. And so this is a time for us to do ministry to one another, to do ministry to our spouses, um, towards one another to move towards each other if we're married, to move towards each other if we're single, to pray for one another. So God, I pray right now in your name that you would break bonds, uh, that you would break areas where there is captivity from generations and generations of patterns. I pray that you would break us free. And you can do this in a moment or you can do this in a lifetime. God, we believe that you can accelerate this work by the power of your Holy Spirit. That's good news, that there is power in Jesus' name and in his blood, and there is power in his life, and there is power in him moving towards you. So God, as we pray, would you break these bonds, Lord Jesus? Would you break us free? Would you transform our character? Would you transform our habits, our addictions? May we name out loud to you the patterns that we're repeating, and may we see freedom. God, you've moved towards us with your love. You, uh, you've forgiven us of our wrongs. And for those who are married, marriage is a place where if there's no place for Christ and his disciples, it can be a very scary thing to go through. And so if you've never done this before, as we take communion, we encourage you to just find your spouse, pray together, pray for one another, turn towards each other, invite Jesus into your marriage, for he is the only thing that can satisfy and hold it together. And for those single in the room, would you bring Jesus into your singleness? Would you, as you take communion, if you've never done this before, would you take communion and invite Jesus into your season of singleness? That he is your Lord and he is, your, he is good to you. He has plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you. So in Jesus' name we pray. We ask all these things for you to move by your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're going to be available for prayer uh, for anybody. Um, I think we have some other prayer leaders. Um, let's worship together. Let's take communion. Let's minister together and worship.